Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands podcast. We're brought to you, as always, by the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. Courses, workshops, resources, founder coaching, networking, and a whole lot more. Having a challenge with distributors, finance, or promotions? The Community Hub is fully searchable by keyword and can take you right to the answers you're seeking or one of our team members can help you find the info. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, this is Steve Clear, and we have a great show going for us today. We're going to be talking tasty and healthy, two words that sometimes don't go together. My guest is David Downing. He is the co-founder and CEO of Chipmunk, a specialty baking business based in Houston that creates low-carb and gluten-free desserts. Chipmunk's mission is to help people indulge mindfully, making better nutritional choices by cutting sugar out of their diets, but without sacrificing sweets. Prior to starting his business in 2019 with co-founder Jose Hernandez, David has spent many years working in management consulting and in the commercial aviation industry across different disciplines. Most recently, he's been head of the financial analysis and performance improvement for Work America Capital, a venture capital firm dedicated to investing in Houstonians and Houston-based businesses with high potential. Welcome to the program, David. Hey, Steve. Glad to be here. So, yeah. So the first first thing, I, I mean, going into people's backgrounds, always very interesting as to how they get started in the business. But since you were in venture capital, you really don't have any excuse for getting into this business at all. Right. <laughs> you should have known uh, before now the challenges that occur. How, how did you how'd you make a transition from from numbers to to cookies? Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny because along the way, Jose and I have had a lot of food founders tell us to not get into this space. I think you know I, I, I moved to Houston to work at this venture capital firm called Work America Capital, and we we invested specifically into Houston companies. At the time, I met Jose because he was working for one of our portfolio companies. And because I was new to the city, I ended up... We became roommates. We were both looking for a place to live. And uh, that's that's how we met, became friends. He's he's super into fitness and health. And so we were actually waking up early, working out together every day and got to, got to talking a lot. You know, One interesting thing where we were is we were actually in a co-working space. So we were surrounded by startups, all kinds of startups. And within the portfolio of our, our of the VC firm I was at, there we had startups in sports tech, we had esports, there was a construction company, there there it was a co-working you know company. There it was kind of all over the place. And for me personally, I was sitting in all these board meetings with these young entrepreneurs and kind of getting that behind the scenes look. And I, I was also you know doing the due diligence on potential investments for the fund. And the biggest takeaway, and it took me 10 years to reach this point or to understand it, is like there's nothing different about these entrepreneurs that have, have gone off and started it. Like there's nothing sort of more special or unique that I don't have, you know, myself. It's just that they were willing to to take the leap, right? Like they had an idea and they went for it. And 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 usually they don't know what they're doing. And that's kind of a part of the process, is you just <laughs> you learn along the way, you make a lot of mistakes. And uh, that's okay. And I think just me seeing that really, it kind of removed that fear. I, you know, I had been working standard corporate jobs for a long time, and 
I don't know. I was just scared about trying something different or new and just seeing these folks that, you know, that, that just kind of went for it and they made the mistakes and that was okay. They were still, some of them very successful, you know, gave me like an internal push to, to start wanting to do my own thing. So what happened is Jose and I, you know, working out, talking every day, surrounded by startups, we started having these conversations about like, well, what would we want to do if we had our own startup? And you know, Jose's background, he he studied biology, he's a certified personal trainer, so he knows everything about the human body. But uniquely about him too, though, is when he was in college, he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes very unexpectedly. It turns out he's he's genetically predisposed to it. And you know, eating the standard college diet, which is <laughs> donuts and beer and pizza, yeah. he he noticed that like he was having wild fluctuations in his energy levels and when he went to check with the doctor, they measured his blood sugar and they're like, by the way, you're, you're diabetic. And when that happened to him, because he understood so much about nutrition and, and kind of wellness in the human body, he, he attacked it via his diet. And he, he kind of threw out all the processed carbs, all the sugar, unfortunately, even the beer, which is tough in college, and you know, adopted a, a low-carb, high-fat, high-healthy fat diet. And within a matter of months, got his blood sugar under control. Wow. So that was yeah. kind of like the lifestyle he was living when we were together. And one weekend, we were so depressed because we couldn't come up with an idea we were passionate about to start a business. He decided to bake some stuff for us, like some some desserts. But because of his situation with the diabetes, he he did like some some Google Foo online research and figured out there's this whole world of like low carb baking and he made some stuff um, specifically he made these these cookies using almond flour and a special sweetener called monk fruit and when he gave me those cookies it tasted like a real cookie and for me yeah. that the light bulb kind of went off there as like wow that you know one in three people in the United States are dealing with diabetes on some level either they're pre-diabetic or they're diabetic and then you know half the country's trying to lose weight at any given time usually trying to cut sugar Yet here's Jose having to go off and make his own cookies. And so that 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 really just gave us the push. Like we literally took those same cookies, took them to that co-working office, sold some the next day, and then the the rest is kind of history from there. <laughs> you had your validation right there with the people you were working with. Yeah. Um, and, and that's interesting, Gabe, because a lot of people come to food and, and beverage and wellness, you know, emerging brands through some type of personal challenge, medical or, you know, whatever to, to try to solve a problem and then go, gosh, you know, um, there's all these other people out here who have this problem. And by the way, if I can also get people who don't have the problem to enjoy it, then I'm even, yeah, I'm even better, you know, it works, it works out great. So, okay. So you guys are, you know, obviously both working and both, you know, putting in the time and whatever else, Cookies are doing okay with your folks at work. How then did you guys figure you were going to turn this into a, a business? Yeah, kind of a piece of advice I would give to anyone looking to start a new venture is if you can do it as a side gig at first, you know, like don't quit your day job. <laughs> and so Jose and I kept our jobs. And this was in early 2019 when we we first made that batch of cookies. And I told Jose. If we can get to $10,000 a month in revenue with this business by the end of this year, you know, while we continue to keep our jobs just so we have some level of financial security, yep. then that to me is proof that you know, there's enough demand out there for us to really jump into this. And so we, I guess we set like a financial target 
And yeah, we we just kept baking from home. We went to farmers markets to you know get outside of the office. Even launched a little like website where we did some local delivery orders in Houston. Got into like a shared commercial kitchen, so that that opened up the ability to ship online. And by the end of the year, just through those mostly local and like very minimal e-commerce efforts, we managed to get the business to about fourteen thousand dollars in monthly revenue by that December. And then that that was kind of just that was the milestone, right? Like we we set the goal, we hit it. And so the following year, we went out and we raised, you know, raised some money from crowdfunding and friends and family to kind of take that next next phase of the business where Jose and I went, you know, full time and started to build a team and, and all that fun right. stuff. Dave, can you share a little bit more about the crowdfunding aspect of it? How how did you guys organize that? Yeah, we we actually worked with a local company called Nexseed. They've since merged with Republic, which is a much more well-known uh, crowdfunding platform that a lot of CPG companies use. But basically, I had the good fortune of meeting the the CEO of Nexseed at like a this like entrepreneurship class that I was <laughs> I was taking at Rice and I you know, I reached out to him at the very beginning and I probably took some like embarrassingly bad cookies to him early on. And just from like an advice perspective and kind of stayed connected with him. And so when we reached that that milestone I had mentioned, I reached back out to him and I, I was like, hey, can we, you know, what do you think about crowdfunding as a as a way to raise some money? And yeah, it's basically if you have like a, a good network um of you know close friends relatives yeah. uh co-workers and you know like they they trust you and like you know they they believe in you probably more than they might believe in the idea then crowdfunding can be excellent early on because you you know you can take a, a hundred people who might not be able to invest twenty five thousand dollars ahead or they might not be accredited investors but they could probably throw in five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars and so that's what we did we set you know, we set out this campaign. Jose and I made this really long list of everybody we knew, and then proceeded to send you know very annoying emails to everybody, telling them about the opportunity, trying to get them to invest. Um, also posting on you know on LinkedIn and Facebook, and that that turned out well. The other thing that we had going for us, and this is something that's kind of unique if you have an e-commerce like CPG brand, is you have customers, right? And you have their emails because right. they've been buying, and you're sending them, you know, their their emails. So that that opens up a new kind of group of potential investors too, because a lot of times customers who really love a brand, and if they're especially if they're high net worth individuals, which surprise surprise, premium products typically have some of those buying them. You know, they they'll be excited to invest too. So we picked up outside of our friends and family, we actually picked up a couple investors that were just longtime customers of ours and. You know, one of them actually yeah. put in like twenty five thousand. A couple put in ten thousand, and it was pretty significant. And turned out we we wanted to raise a hundred thousand, and we we were able to raise actually one hundred fifty thousand via the the platform because we had you know more interest than we thought. So when you're um again in the early stages, and uh, I'm assuming you learned how to bake to help Jose out. I mean, he wasn't doing this fourteen grand a month all by himself, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. So Jose and I pretty much from like day one, we were we were both in the kitchen for almost like two years straight. It was just us, you know. I, I we joke like between the two of us, I think each of us has probably done like four hundred thousand plus scoops. But yeah, we 
we knew nothing. Neither of us really knew anything about baking other than, you know, like here's a recipe that you find online and baking at home. But to make that transition to the commercial kitchen, you know, where all of a sudden you're working with like convection ovens and you don't have, you're not hand mixing. You've got like a 20 quart or bigger mixer that, you know, looks like a crazy piece of machinery. So yeah, we, we blind emailed the faculty of the University of Houston's hospitality school and by chance ended up connecting with one of the professors there who has a PhD in food safety. And he had uh, experience working in large commercial bakeries. So we reached out, he agreed to kind of join us as a consultant. We just paid him on like a project-based fee where he came into our commercial kitchen, the shared commercial kitchen, taught us how to use convection ovens, taught us how to use like a 20 quart mixer, how to, you know, correctly clean and sanitize everything so that we're following all, all the food safety procedures. Yep. And he also taught us how to create like a formula for our recipe, you know, like recipes are always, it's like a quarter teaspoon and half a cup, blah, blah, blah. Like that doesn't fly when you're trying to make a hundred thousand cookies, like you need everything yep. in grams and you need to be able to scale it up. And so he, he kind of showed us how to do that. And then he also helped us perfect our ultimate formula for our cookie uh, because we use a blend of allulose and monk fruit sweeteners, uh, which they have unique characteristics when you're baking, which Jose and I, you know, had no real chance of figuring that out on our own, like what to do to actually make it come out as a, a real cookie. And he, this food scientist, like helped us research additional ingredients like konjac root and psyllium fiber to, to create like the, the texture and the shape that we were trying to achieve with those sweeteners. So yeah, we lucked out. And then through awesome. that, it's just the experience of baking thousands of cookies. I guess Jose and I have, have become professional bakers at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are, 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 you know, again, doing the bake, doing it all yourself as, as most of the, the folks are that are, that are starting out with the small businesses from a business planning standpoint. How did you guys make the decision to you know, start? I mean, we all obviously start out D2C because it's friends, family, farmer's market, work, coworkers, whatever. But how did you make the decision to start with D2C? And what, you know, how did you envision that website, Amazon, Thrive? How'd you look at that? Yeah. So D2C for us started with our website. We actually started on Squarespace, which I would not recommend early on. Eventually we moved over to Shopify. Shopify just has a lot more easy to plug in applications that you're going to need down the road. But from our perspective, we knew at the very beginning that our our product was not retail ready, right? Like the formula wasn't finalized. We weren't making things in, in massive batches. So there were, you know, lots of, lots of stuff with scaling production that, you know, issues that we just didn't know until we got there. And then, you know, the packaging at the beginning was literally like clear bags that we would just heat seal shut one at a time and put like stickers on. And so for, for e-commerce, all of that stuff is absolutely okay. And in some ways it can be like a plus, right? Cause people feel like they're getting homemade small batch handcrafted products, which they were. And then you can, you know, even though the product might not look as sexy as you want it to be, you can, you can put so much more into the personal touch. Like we, we actually still do handwritten notes in every single order that we send out. You know, we, we do phone calls with our top customers and actually talk to them. And we were going out to farmer's markets all the time too. So like when you buy from us, especially 
in the early days, it really felt like you were buying from David and Jose. You weren't buying from like, you know, faceless cookie company. <laughs> um, and so that for us, it was like e-commerce is the, is the one channel early on where we can, we can immediately start to get sales and traction, which is what you need if you want to, to get investors interested down the road. And we can do it without like a lot of upfront, like we, we didn't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on packaging design on like branding, on formulation, sure. yeah. we could, we can kind of go over that, you know, do that piecemeal step-by-step. Step. So that that's how we viewed it at the beginning. And, and folks, by the way, if you want to know a little bit more about that with details and some of the, the marvelous flavors and stuff offered, you can hit the, the website, which is www.chipmunkbaking.com. That's C-H-I-P-M-O-N-K baking.com. David, in that sense, the I, I guess what I would say is you you guys are really putting on the Etsy feel <laughs> into into what you were doing, and that and that level of personalization is great both ways. By the way, what you got back from your customers is very valuable as well because that's not something that you know larger companies obviously well they can do, but they really don't spend a lot of time a lot of time doing it. Did it also help that there's sort of a control factor in D two C and that you don't have to ramp suddenly from you know two hundred stores to two thousand? Yeah, it's it's definitely more like a step by step growth progression instead of yeah, like you like you mentioned going from like zero to hundred overnight. And you know, like on, on online orders, I think inherently too the the purchase price per unit is higher. So for less product, you can generate more revenue early on than you could say in a wholesale account. And it, it's it's also like we were making everything fresh, so it was kind of smaller batches. It gave us the opportunity to do have more flexibility as well because like we could offer different flavors. We didn't have to, you know, like say for example, we wanted to go into retail right at the beginning. We'd probably have to work with a contract manufacturer and put all of our eggs into a single basket, like a single skew, to make it work financially. Versus with our website like this and the kind of that small batch process, you know, we were able to experiment a little bit and offer different things and and see what really resonated and also learn like what could be scalable. For example, we used to offer like whoopie pies. It was it was like uh, basically two cupcakes that we like flipped upside down and put like icing in between. We sold those, but we quickly learned that selling things with icing has all kinds of issues with DTC. Also, probably not food safe. <laughs> um, so you know, we cut that. But because we were we were starting off small and we were doing the the DTC route early on, you know, we were able to t- try that out. And now that is in our product development pipeline because it, it was something that was really popular. We just had to figure out, you know, how to do it at scale at some point. You guys had uh, awesome timing opening in 2019. So what, what, what did the pandemic, you know, do to you guys? Yeah, it, it kind of played to our, I guess, advantage early on just because we were solely D to C. And so that any aspirations we might have had for retail, wholesale, we sort of just put on the back burner until until last year. Though I will say we we did have some good traction with like local wholesale accounts, um, especially in like the juice bars, the coffee bars, even like hotels here locally. And when COVID kind of came into full swing, all that revenue just immediately evaporated right you know we, we we made it it worked okay for us because our, our our e-commerce sales were growing pretty rapidly and we actually had a really fortunate win 
because we we started reaching out to like local press and media outlets around that yeah. same time. And they were looking for stories about like e-commerce growth. They were looking for stories about health, healthy eating. And Jose's kind of personal story with diabetes and how that led to Chipmunk ended up resonating with an editor at the Houston Chronicle. And they put a, a, a big piece about him out in the newspaper and it just blew up our website sales. It, it really kind of took our e-commerce presence to the next level because all of a sudden we went, you know, we had like, $15,000 of sales in a day when before that we were maybe doing like $4,000 a month. That was kind of crazy. When you're, which is great stuff, by the way, when you're looking at the, at that for your, your product line and stuff, did you guys talk about, I mean, there's always going to be people with the challenges that Jose has, but there's also this other part. I'm, I'm not going to say fad, but it, because it's way too long to be a fad, but the whole thing of paleo, keto, whatever else, dietary, but also lifestyle change. Did you guys kind of say, okay, we think we can fit some needs of those people as well? Yeah. I mean, if you look at our packaging, it says in huge words right now, like keto cookies. Yeah. Uh, and the main reason for that is we were, Jose and I, by the way, when we started this, we were like, this is going to be like diabetes. It's all about diabetics. It's going to be amazing. And then we found out that like, that's actually not a great target audience early on. There's just a lot of diabetics that unfortunately don't have a whole lot of interest in changing their diet, especially if that means like paying more for, you know, a cookie versus, you know, a regular cookie at Walmart. So that, that was kind of, it, it was an approach that wasn't going to work for us. But what we did is we, we did have some strong repeat customers and we, we asked them, we like literally called them and we're like, why are you buying our product? And we kept hearing folks just saying like, I'm on a keto diet and your cookies are super low carb. They don't knock me out of ketosis and they taste better than like anything else we've had. You know, like I, I haven't had a cookie for years and now I finally can. And there's, there's other kind of niches too. I would say like people, we've had a lot of people with celiac disease. There are some like type one diabetics where folks who've been living it with, with it their whole life, kind of niches like that. But I, I think for a smaller brand early on, it is is actually very important to not go too broad in in your marketing, just because there's no way you're going to reach a price point that's gonna that's gonna work for the average day person. Yeah. You're like you're probably going to have a premium price product, and in order to justify yes. a premium price, you have right. to service a niche. Yeah, it's the last you know few, few months working with some people who are faced with raising costs. A little bit. And you say, you know, there's, there's in packaged goods, there are some psychological barriers that you have to get over. And a lot of those have to do with, you know, even price points. So 10 bucks, right? 15, 20, whatever. And, but once you get a person who's purchasing a product that let's say is over $12 to move between 12 and 15, it is pretty much inconsequential. Right. Over 15, you're liable to see some, you know, some, you know, recourse, but you're, you're not going to see anything because they're, they've, they've already chosen themselves out of that group that would be, you know, oh my God, it's over $10. I'm not touching that. Well, they're, right. they're, they're not your clients anyway. And they're not going to, they're not, gonna, they may be your clients someday when you can bring that price down. But yeah, not, it's not in the purchase decision tree at that point. So, exactly. you know, let's talk for a minute about you guys were doing some other products and stuff at well. Have you kind of settled on the, on, on the cookie and the cookie bites format as being where you're going to stay? I think for the, the near term future. So probably at least for the next year. Yes. 
you know, you mentioned in my like prior career, I worked for Southwest Airlines, which I don't know how much you know about Southwest, but they're like a, a very famous like Harvard business case study about I'm how a good the, customer. That's what I am. A very good customer of Southwest. Yes. Well, they're, uh, I guess like one of the keys to their success outside of outstanding customer service is the fact that they have one type of aircraft in their entire fleet. And that allows them to unlock all kinds of operational efficiencies that every other airline in the United States does not have because they're trying to operate fleets with 20 plus different types of aircraft, which means you have different parts, different maintenance programs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of a, a, Jose and I take that approach when we look at our product development and our cookies and our cookie bites is like, you know, how can we offer a level of variety, but where we keep the base formula and the base production processes 90 to 95% the same. That way we can actually benefit from producing more, right? Because we we can lower our unit costs because we're buying in bigger bulk. We can increase our labor efficiency because we're putting out more. So that's that's what we're really trying to focus on right now is like, I don't want to go and start something completely different because then it's it's like going three years back, right? Um, So that's, that's what we're focusing on. What we are doing is within the cookie space, We've actually developed a high-protein variant of our cookie, ah, uh, right. which kind of targets a different potential buyer, like someone who doesn't necessarily need to be keto or incredibly low-carb, but they are just trying to have a healthier cookie that tastes really good. And it, you know, now maybe people like gym, gym goers, CrossFitters, yoga, bodybuilders, right. yep. it's kind of a whole new demographic that we're, we're hoping to be able to unlock but without changing the you know that 10 more than 10% of the underlying ingredients and processes so that that's what we're hoping uh, to great. see kind of this yeah. year yeah it's a great because there are there are people who i, I think particularly in food and beverage as, as opposed to health and wellness but in food and beverage in particular if you're kind of a foodie or you're really into craft beers or whatever is the variety being the spice of life and so you say well i, I got a I, I got an awesome brownie mix out there on the, on the market now i'm going to come out with let's see ready to go dinners and it's like what wait a minute it's like um <laughs> You can't even do those in the same kitchen. You know, it's like you know, let's, yeah. let's try. So yeah, so that idea that you mentioned the the Southwest credo, absolutely true. Yeah, and it it helps to to build off that. Let's talk for a minute, real quick, about because you know you guys being partners and stuff and started this off. You really both were very hands on, right into it right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. How did you guys kind of divide up the you know the the labor and the responsibilities of the business? Yeah, this is actually something I was like really focused on almost from the beginning because Jose and I are very, very different personality wise and like skill set wise. Jose is he's an extrovert. He loves getting in front of people. He's excellent at marketing and sales. He knows you know the fitness and the wellness. And then I'm you know I'm more of like the train operator. Like I love numbers. I love analysis. I like to think strategy. I, I like focusing on like team building and culture too. So I, I wanted to make sure that we were very clear on where we were going to end up and and you know make sure there was zero resentment between us and we were being positioned to kind of succeed long term. So we read it's a it's a book called The E-Myth Revisited. And it's kind of the whole concept is like how it, a lot of people when they have a small business are stuck in that business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it, it gives you guidance on like how to get out of that mindset. And a part of it is to create an organization chart 
for your business, even when it's literally like you or just you and your co-founder. So we sat down and we listed out like, here are the 10 key functions of the business that we think we will eventually have. And under, you know, as understanding that right now, like we're, we're going to do all of it together, you know, like we'll be baking, we'll be going to markets, et cetera, et cetera. But long-term, you know, here's where I'm going to take ownership and here Jose is where you're going to take ownership. And that's going to be kind of our, our roadmap uh, for the future. And I, I think that conversation really, really helped set expectations for us. And today that's kind of how things are split where Jose, he, he leads, our wholesale efforts. He maintains all of our relationships with buyers, brokers, distributors. He is the face and voice of the brand with a lot of our marketing efforts. And then I'm more of the kind of administrative leader of the company. I do all of our bookkeeping, fundraising efforts, uh, all our HR, compliance taxes. I would. We do have a digital marketing director now and an operations director. I would say that you know, like I, I try to. <laughs> give them kind of the guidance, like really setting the processes for, for both of those areas. Right. But yeah, that we've, we found a good balance between the two. And I will, I'll say like it, having a co-founder, like there, <laughs> it's, it, people always say it's like a relationship, like with a, like a spouse is very true. Oh, uh, yeah. And you're, you inevitably like, you're not going to always see eye to eye. You're going to have fights. And especially like if you're two very different personalities or, or like to do things differently, it can, it can be frustrating. I think in the early days, I was very frustrated sometimes, but the longer I've done it, the more I've realized that having those drastically different personalities is actually like a, a, a strong advantage of a, a small company because, you know, like the things that I suck at, like Jose is good at and vice versa. <laughs> like it wouldn't be good if we were both good at the same things. And so, I, yeah, I, I always recommend like if you can find a good partner that balances you out like that, definitely do it versus going it on your own. Yeah, I, I used to tell people it's you know my with my ex partner from the the agency is that we it was like a marriage in the sense that you know there were strengths and weaknesses on each part and you had to rely upon each other and all those things. And they said, but there's also a personality thing of you know, we spent more in the early days, especially more waking hours with each other than we did with our wives. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was right. And so yeah. it's, if you take sleep out, it's like, you know, I I'm literally coexisting with this person, you know, 12 hours, 14 hours a day on challenges on things, you know, whatever. And, uh, then come home and, you know, hi honey. And you know, how was it? Yeah. <laughs> You have to work on that, but no, that's, that's a good, that's a good thing. And I think, yeah, the best ones work out with different types of personalities, but ones that can, you know, obviously work very closely with each other. You mentioned David on the wholesale front and stuff with Jose. And by the way, the next time that we do this, you, you can let Jose come on the program too. So <laughs> we have to go one after each other and we'll, we'll see if our stories line up. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. We get that figured out, but from, from D2C and obviously still expanding that you guys are on Amazon, some other platforms. How did you look at retail and getting ready for retail? And, and what was the plan there? Yeah, I think for retail, for us, probably the first thing that we needed to figure out was shelf life for our product. Oh. You know, we kept hearing from buyers, you know, we need like a six month plus shelf life. And if you're going to go through distribution, then you, you know, need even longer than that. It's just critical. And so that's what we really focused on from a product development perspective is like, what can we do to get the shelf life there? Uh, we ended up figuring out with our keto cookie bites 
before our single serve cookies. The other core component I think is you know that that's different from from e-commerce is your packaging, right? Making sure that you have packaging that is going to catch someone's attention and then that really communicates like what it is about your product that's worth them trying and you know like uh, there's a there's a book called like how to ramp your brand by it was like dr james richardson and a huge part of that book is about like how as an early like a small startup brand you need to have lots of conversations with your earliest customers your earliest repeat customers to figure out like what's driving them to 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 trial your product and then to come back and then convert that into what is on your packaging because you know it's like it worked for them then it should work for the, the people in the stores <laughs> and so that's that's what we did um we made a list of, i think of like our top 100 customers called them all directly with a certain went through a survey to kind of tease out like why are you really buying this product like what about the the cookies made you pick this up versus something else and we learned some interesting things like you know i think one that sticks out to me is like the whole soft baked versus like crunchy cookie the dichotomy, like a, a lot of our customers, like, well, most keto cookies out there are like crunchy and crumbly and yours are like soft and almost like a, like a cake or a muffin. And we love that. Oh, and, and we were like, Oh, had no idea. Slap it on the package. So, you know, soft baked right. stuff like that. So I, I think once we had those two things together, the shelf life, and then what we thought was really good packaging, I mean, it was it was kind of off to the races from there. It's like, well, now we have a product we really believe in. We think people will sell it. We just need to get on the shelves. And you know, to do that, we we really just targeted like independent specialty retailers. There's a lot of lists you can find online, and and then like literally calling them, doing everything you can to get them to sample the product, to get the buyer to sample, and then keep following up, following up, following up until. You know, they place that first case order. Another really useful tool early on for us has been like online wholesale marketplaces. Companies like Fair, yep. Mabel, Abound, they let you list your products for wholesale buyers to just buy online. It's a great way to start getting some like initial purchases. And then from there, you can take over the relationship. It also just is a, a place you can send people to buy your products too. But yeah, that, that's kind of what we were thinking in the early stages. All direct. Now we're kind of this next phase where we're trying to figure out distribution because we've kind of hit this wall where it's like, yeah. hey, if you want to grow grow beyond this, you're going to have to have a distrib- distributor partner. So that's where we're at now. And that's a, and that's something we can we can chat about. Actually, it's a, it's a funny uh, funny thing. And there's how the different categories actually break out in in doing that. And a lot of, a lot of bakery, of course, still DSD. You know, as opposed to right going in through the warehouse. So you have a still have a lot of trucks, still have a lot of bakery trucks and stuff out there running around mm-hmm. with doing that. And then you have the other side, which is yeah, you know, one year shelf life, and we only we only ship into the warehouse, so we don't have to don't have to worry about it. It's a different different um, different perspective in that sense. Also, different attention on your product. But one of the things you were mentioning about packaging too is the also the idea, particularly like in your case and other goods, is protection. There's a lot of people don't take into account that once you start, once you go away from this handling of, you know, where you're handling it or whatever, that that this thing is going to be falling off a truck. It's going to be going yeah. through a lot of things before it gets to the shelf. And then messaging, because once you get again out of D2C, where it, there's people probably going to learn a lot about your product before they ever buy it mm-hmm. in, in the store, they're walking down the aisle. And so, 
the packaging suddenly has the burden of carrying whatever you or Jose would say to somebody at a farmer's market or whatever's on the landing page of the website has now got to be condensed into this space. Exactly. You know, so a real, real challenge. And it's yeah. Excellent stuff. So, so when you guys were looking, I mean, you had the advantage and again, D2C, the advantage of being able to survey, being able to talk to your clientele and whatever. Did you also look at kind of where those folks were and where they shopped to pick your retail targets? Not so much. I mean, we, we did, you know, do some geographic analysis and uh, to no surprise, the kind of largest sections of online customers were on the East and West coasts. And then we had a strong presence in Texas because that's where we're headquartered. So, you know, I, I think for us, it, it, it's more about the, like recognizing the type of store and the type of customer. And, and really, it's for us, it's a, it's a customer that's willing to spend money on products that are better for them. And you know that might just be someone who has a lot of disposable income and they like to try new premium things. Or it might be someone who's adopted like a low-carb diet and they understand that they're investing in their health. Or, or it's someone with celiac disease or type 1 diabetes and they, they really have no choice. That's the way they eat. And so just trying to find retailers that cater to people like that. And the great thing is like, you can literally find stores like that all across the country. You just have to kind of put in the work, find them. Like one region we've actually seen really good success in is in the Midwest. There's a lot of like specialty independent stores there. Specifically, we've seen good success with a regional chain called High V. They all have like these specialty like health markets within the stores that have the autonomy to buy products direct. And, and like what's happening or what Jose and I've noticed is like a lot of these stores are in towns that aren't necessarily very big, but there's no other like health option in town, you know, like this is, this is kind of it. And there's people in the town that want to eat this way. So if we can get onto the shelves of that store, it's great. And then a lot of our bigger competitors who are more, you know, well-funded or they're trying to grow more rapidly, they're kind of ignoring these these smaller cities because, you know, they're going after the big flashy chains on the East and West Coast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, 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 East and West Coast would, you know, there's, there's more of those types of places out there for sure. But for when you're starting at $0 base, like there's plenty of growth opportunity across the country. I mean, some of our very best accounts are are in places like the Midwest. Actually, one of our best accounts is like in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I <laughs> I know that yeah. seems like it seems odd, but no, there is the the it's amazing actually what distributors who who ship up to Alaska do. And that's one of the things too is when they order, they order big. Because yep. you know they're they're trying to they're trying to get as much up there as they can you know I, I suppose during the good weather but but also just you know it, it doesn't pay to move a small amount of things when you're going right. when you're going that far it works yeah. out so awesome and, and so um what do you guys without telling any secrets what's what's kind of down the road for you guys in terms of in terms of product yeah so like I mentioned you know we've been working on a protein version of our cookie, like a higher protein, but also a higher net carb cookie. Yeah. It's it's basically like a more balanced treat. Oddly enough, we developed it to as like a private label manufacturing product for a local meal prep, like a local oh, chain, okay. chain of meal prep companies. And yep. they they hired us originally because they needed people to make like gluten-free baked goods for them. 
And when they sent us their cookie recipe, we looked at it and we were like, oh, there's 10 ingredients in here that we don't like. <laughs> so we're, you know, we're going to, you know, free of charge, upgrade your cookie. And we use it as like an opportunity to kind of formulate our own in-house protein cookie. And they, they've been selling like wildfire at these, these meal prep places. So Jose and I are very optimistic about that product. We think there's a place for it both in retail, like our existing retail accounts, new retail accounts, and and then also in that meal prep space, that whole kind of food service world. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for some great cash flow and and margins. So we're we're going to be focusing more there. Another thing that we do in terms of product development is we we do regular small batch items for our our e-commerce audience so we'll make like two to four hundred units of kind of unique flavors and things and then we'll we'll do an announcement via text email sell it all out in a day or two and it, it just really helps to like excite and engage our followers our customers and then when we when we land on something that's really popular we kind of take note and we're like all right you know maybe this is something we need to work maybe, on you're right this might be able um, to stand on its own yeah so like a good example is a few weeks ago we did uh, we offered keto donuts on our website, <laughs> and we sent out a text message, only a text message to three thousand subscribers, and in two hours we sold out, and we were like, "Oh, there's something here." And so we made like two more batches, and then again sold out. And so I think in a week we did over like ten thousand dollars of sales related to these donuts on our website. And so, yeah, you better believe we're working on that now too. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 That went into R and D real quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you bet. That's awesome. Well, David, Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and to, and to share your, yours and Jose's story, both you guys are doing a bang up job. And of course we see you a lot on, on social media. So we know you're doing a good job, you know, there as well. But one of the things that we we try to do for our fellow entrepreneurs out there is, is pass along, as, as you've been doing in the program, a, a lot of good advice and counsel and, and really appreciate it. But we have a segment called Words to Grow By, which is also a blog on its own now, folks out there. And it's basically all taken from you know words, one word, or quotes, or phrases, or issues that uh, fellow entrepreneurs want to hear about. So do you have one for us today? Yeah. Yeah. So I think throughout this conversation, I've mentioned like several books um, that Jose and I have used with the development of our business. So the quote that I had in mind was actually from Mark Twain. And he says, uh, a person who does not read books has no advantage over someone who cannot read. And I'm just a really strong believer in like continuous development, continuous learning. I know sometimes I get flack for specifically pushing reading books. And to that, I will say this can apply to audiobooks. It can apply to podcasts. It can apply (laughs) to blogs. You know, there's actually a ton of good email digests out there, but it's it's just always take yourself outside of your business or your day-to-day and try to just like learn something new and, and read a little bit or listen a little bit. And You'd be amazed at like the ideas that you can get, and it it's ultimately like the lifeblood of business. Jose and I have had so many times where we feel like our backs are up against the wall. We didn't know what we're going to do, but because we you know we were reading these new things, we would try stuff out and then hit on something that would be successful and and kind of you know allow us to pivot or to continue growing in a different way or a smarter way. And so that that's 
that, you know, words I would really recommend if anybody ever wants to like email me or send me a LinkedIn message too, I've got a long list of books. I'm, I'm happy to, to recommend. Oh, as well. great. Well, we, we may put that in the, uh, we may put that in the mailing. David, we can, we can do that. Appreciate Definitely. It, you know? And folks, you can find that out. And also I'm sure contact David via www.chipmunkbaking.com. And thanks again, David. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Hey, and by the way, I want to thank everybody else out there also for joining us for another Next Level Brands podcast. The podcast is sponsored by Next Level Brands Community. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, of course. We're always grateful for your feedback and the comments we get. If you have an idea for a show or maybe a particular guest you'd like us to talk to, feel free to reach out, let us know. If you're enjoying the show, please follow us. Take a minute to subscribe, but most important, refer us to your friends. After all, the more, the merrier. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.